Well, hello, folks. Welcome back to the Be a Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. This episode is a little bit of like a podcast birthday party. Um, You may already well be aware that the amazing book entitled Becoming a Totally Inclusive School, A Guide for Teachers and School Leaders just turned one. I was overjoyed to get to speak with the authors last year, and I cannot tell you how many different follow-up conversations I've had with fellow admirers, fellow readers of the book since then. This remains one of my must-read, must-recommend texts for professional development libraries, so I thought this is a great time to recap that conversation from last year and to put a call out to you. As we approach the end of 2023, in my free newsletter that you can access by heading over to allyed.org, that's A-L-L-Y-E-D.org, I'm going to do a roundup of the book episodes that I did that had the most response from listeners like you, and I'd also love to point fellow newsletter readers to books that you have loved. So if you have a book that you also think this was a must read, uh, this is a must recommend, my email address is in the show notes. Please send me an email. You can recommend the book anonymously, or I'm happy to give you credit and also give you that space to explain to folks what that book has meant to you. So hopefully you have had a chance to read Becoming a Totally Inclusive School. If you have not, Again, it's a remarkable text. We've seen a lot of schools um, organize book groups. I think if your school has not yet done that, it might be a great goal for 2024. So here is our previous conversation about the book. Enjoy. Better Ally Podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On today, we are going to bring you a recap from the book launch party hosted by Angelina Now and Dr. Sadie Hollins talking about their brand new book. We sat down with the co-authors a few weeks back to discuss it. And on today's episode, we are going to dig a little bit deeper into some of the behind the scenes that went into creating that book and remind you that at this point in time, if your school, if your learning organization has not yet put in an order to get their book, this is a great time to be doing that. Before we dig into that conversation, I want to talk to you a little bit about EduSpark. If you have not yet explored all of the professional learning opportunities from EduSpark, please do. In the show notes, you will find a link to EduSpark. And I want to remind you um, that they have so generously kept one of my professional learning opportunities free for anybody who wants it. That learning opportunity is on the intersection of LGBTQ plus inclusion and media literacy. In the show notes, I will also be sure to link to it. Now, on with today's conversation, enjoying the book launch party for Becoming a Totally Inclusive School from Angelina Now and Dr. Sadie Hollins. 
We are going to take a little bit of a look behind the scenes. Angeline and Sadie are going to spill the tea just slightly. We are going to have some author readings. We're going to have time and space for your questions, your lines of inquiry. And then at the end, we're also going to take some time to talk about opportunities there are to go further with the book. So um, I asked each of the authors a few questions and they're going to do that fun thing of thinking about what the other one may have written down. So the first question that we're going to open with is when you think of your initial vision for the book, Sadie and Angeline, and you compare it now with the final amazing text on a scale of one to five, how much has that initial vision changed? So Angeline, we're going to ask you to guess where on that scale you think your co-author dr hollins is at what's your guess oh this is a good one um i'm guessing it's it's you know when you have a scale with like an odd number you kind of kind of go in the middle and say three <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm gonna go there um and the reason is is i think you know we we did you know we put in our book proposal feels like such a long time ago now and uh and then as we kind of went through this collaborative process of writing the book together, um, we would draft something and then and then Sadie and myself, we would, you know, give comments and then we would meet and, and quite regularly we met on a Sunday morning um, to um, online to to kind of talk out through our ideas. And then after talking through our ideas, we'd go back again and then incorporate, you know, whatever Sadie and I had discussed um, into the reworking of the book. And so, and some of the chapters um, also had to kind of be completely rewritten. And so I think from the original version, it did shift quite a bit because I think the, um, the sum of all the parts made it a better whole in the end. Okay, so with all of that factored in, you're going with your safety answer of three. Three. Three right in the middle. So Dr. Hollins, do you have your answer reveal? Yes, I did. Uh, it's not far off. Oh, it's a, I can't see if, can't find it anywhere. It's I a four. If you can see four. me, it's a four, right? Um, probably because I didn't like being in the middle. I went to make sure I was like, I need to, I need to pick a side, which way I'm going to go. Um, so yeah, I went, I went for a four. Um, it's interesting that Angeline mentioned about the, the Sunday, the meetings. Um, I do think back like very fondly of them. And what's really interesting is, is me and Angeline have never met in person. And we didn't know each other before the book. So um, it was a real journey of like getting to know each other as writers, as editors and as, as people throughout this process, um, which is really, really great. Um, I would say a few things I think we had at the start, like nearly two years ago, we met and we planned the book and the, the TI continuum was always a central part of the book that we built everything around. And also the three the three sections that we have. So the individual, the, the you, the relational, the us, and then the bigger picture, the institution. So that was always the framework that we worked around. Um, but as, as Angeline's mentioned, there was a lot of chapters that we wrote and we took out or things that we thought needed more space in the book. So they went from a uh, like a, a section in a chapter to a chapter on, on their own. So, um, you know, quite late in our editing process, we felt that there were things that we needed to talk more about. And so one of that, one of those chapters was uh, leadership and leading, and the other one was power and positionality. And they've become really, really important chapters um, in the book. The other thing, I won't ramble on too much, but the other thing, I think one of Angeline's like real strengths is 
making sure everything we had in the book had a practical and like meaningful application. So like I quite like informational text. I feel very comfortable with that. Um, I don't, uh, tools are not my, my thing, my jam, not what they're good at, what I'm good at. And I think what was important is that Angeline constantly made sure we had that throughout the book. And so towards the end, we went back through the book and made sure that there was stuff that was practical throughout. So in that sense, it's, it's changed. The, the vision for the book didn't change, but how we got there, I think, did change quite a bit. Well, that's sort of a perfect segue into our next question, because what an incredible way to really meet somebody that you haven't met before by co-authoring a text. And I fully recognize that in our Zoom room today, we just have an extraordinary gathering of some really incredible educators. So folks in the chat, if you see somebody else in the space where you're like, hey, we don't know each other, but what if we, you know, what if we worked on that through writing a book? This is a great opportunity for you to ping them over in the chat and let them know you'd love to co-author something with them. Um, so again, you didn't, you've never met each other in person. What is one thing you've learned about your co-author that you will never forget? Here's our little mini spilling of the tea that we promised that you'll never forget that, you know, came out of that collaborative process. So um, what do you think Dr. Holland's Angeline wrote down for this, for her answer to this question? What do you think is something she learned about you that she's never going to forget? Um, <laughs> I got this and I'm like, oh, quite nervous. Um, what I would say, I won't hold the paper up because clearly I, I can't do that very well on the screen. But um, actually, I think, and Trisha, I think you might attest to this, is my pure love of voice notes. I feel like I leave them to Angeline so much. It's like I live with her. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I have a real obsession with, with voice notes. I think that might be something. Angeline, time for the reveal. Is that what you wrote down? Was it voice notes? Um, okay. What I wrote down about that I will not forget about Sadie is clarity. Like I'm very verbose and I can talk around a lot of things. And, um, and also I would write these chapters that would be like 10,000 words or something. <laughs> and then she would be like, okay, we can use less. I'm like, yes, we can, but like, help me with that. And, uh, and so, um, yeah. And I, I see a lot of people kind of laughing because they probably know me or they've sat in a meeting with me and I'll just be like, babble, babble, babble. And then, <laughs> cause I'll have all these ideas I really want to share. And then, um, but uh, one thing I will not forget and something I really treasure about Sadie is, is the clarity that she brings to everything. Cause, cause we'll uh, we babble, babble. And then, she'll just magically make this chapter appear that is really succinct and easy to read and and um and yeah and so her voice notes are much shorter than mine <laughs> yeah my voice notes are kind of like audiobooks so i hear you on that so thank you so much for sharing that little bit of the behind the scenes and it sounds like uh, again that's a great partnership you sort of everybody needs somebody who's the rambler and uh Everybody, every partnership needs somebody who's just sort of like, okay, let's try to say that in five words or less. Um, so audience, if you've got questions, now is your time to be throwing them in the chat. I mean, whenever you have a question, please do put it in the chat. We're gonna do our best to get to lots of different questions. Our opening question that was submitted is the one you see here. For a PLC, a professional learning community or an educator book group preparing to read this book, what recommendations might you have for them in doing that preparation? So uh, Dr. Hollins, Angelina, I'll turn it over to you to field that. So audience, again, if you've got your own questions, we are gonna do our best to get to them today, but you can toss them in the chat at any time. So again, 
groups that are preparing to really use this book to circle around their thinking, their community, what advice would you have for them in gathering to do so? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it's a really great question. And um, I'll try and kind of illustrate what I'm going to say now um, shortly. But at the end of, uh, so like I mentioned earlier, we were quite intentional in those three sections. Um, so the, um, the you, the us and the institution. And the first two sections that are kind of on a much smaller scale, there are reflections, guidance and commitments at the end of every chapter. And so these were done with this in mind so these are servers i hope useful questions and things to think about for for reading groups um the last two chapters are much more practical um, and they don't have this but i think that as well gives space for a different type of conversation that's less structured that's more about reflective about what you're doing um in practice um in your schools um, so yeah, that that would be my my thinking around it, and I'll I'll, I'll share kind of an example of reflection, guidance, and commitment shortly. Great, thank you, Angeline. I don't know if you, if I just interrupted you or if I didn't. No, okay, great. We've got lots of folks in the chat sharing that their school has copies on the way. Their order has arrived, which is wonderful, considering uh, we truly have an international crowd here. Really great question. Thanks uh, thanks for this from the audience. What is something surprising that came out of the process of writing the book that maybe you didn't anticipate? So uh, whichever of our amazing co-authors would like to field that question, that's a good one. I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Um, yeah, sure, I, I'll, I'll go ahead if you don't mind. Um, for me, I think it's, it's like, I mean, just kind of thinking about my own journey as a learner. So being a being a migrant, a Chinese Australian, um, I never thought, like, if you asked me five years ago, would I write a book now? I'd be like, oh, no way. <laughs> it, it's a, you know, being an English as a second language um, a student, you know, who was uh, seen as someone who had a, a deficit in language to now being able to say, hey, I co-authored a book um, is, is really for me, um, a surprising thing but then at the same time you know like poured over every word and every phrase and probably drove Sadie insane in the process but like but just you know wanting to make sure that it was really good <laughs> and, and and that it, it worked and so um but but I I think so for me it's always just surprising like oh my goodness I have a book <laughs> that in itself is a surprise yeah, can I, uh, can I just add, like, I think for me, um, it's such a vulnerable process, like writing, I imagine if I was musical, it would be what it's like to make an album and someone to hear it. And you put yourself out there to uh, see what other people think. But I think in that process as well, you really drill down to what you value and what you stick by and that is reflected in what you choose to include and what you choose to take out so I think actually like it was a massive um opportunity for me to really understand what I found to be important and what my my values were so yeah that was that was a really important process for me Again, Sadie, you just like segue after segue coming out of you, the idea of you, you know, this being an album, we've got folks in the audience saying you need to go on world tour with this. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, folks asking, will you both be doing any events in the future or hosting any or ways for perhaps you to be um, at the same place at the same time on different campuses talking about this book or helping some of those book groups extend the learning that they're doing? 
Well, I think Sadie, you are uh, you're you're currently organizing a, a conference, right? So, and um and so some of us we, like we've both been sort of attending different online events as well as um, live events. I presented about the book at um, the the recent senior um, Europe conference that was in Bonn, and then there is a virtual one coming up in December where I'll also have a session um, in that, which is at the beginning of December. And so there are there are all these kind of events that are popping up and creeping up, and and so sometimes it's also like in schools and not necessarily at a conference. And um, and and who would have thought? But uh, we also did even more writing and wrote a few articles. <laughs> and uh, so we've contributed, and so people can also engage with us um, there. We uh, we just had an article come out at the International School Leader Magazine, and we're contributing to um, Aces um, handbook that's going to come out. And so yeah. Yeah, there's lots of um, different ways and so if any school um, is interested to um, you know um, we, we would love to engage with you in, in whichever way um, it would serve you and your community. Well, lots of folks in the chat are sort of competing, I think, for the the country that you should uh, you should head to first. And I love, again, pointing out that it's great for us to lift each other up. So if you know somebody who is preparing a conference or an event um, and again, you've been checking out the book, you've been learning about uh, what it has to say. It's great to recommend our fellow educators to other event organizers. Um, wonderful question from the chat. Was there sort of a, a favorite aspect or uh, you know part of the writing process that you enjoyed the most? So favorite part of that process of putting together becoming a totally inclusive school, a guide for teachers and school leaders. Do either of you have a favorite? Um, so I'm like looking at Angeline and she can't see me, but uh, um, do you know what? Like it's a really good question, and I think this sounds really bad but it's like after the words like during the process it was hard it was just really hard to constantly refine the work to stick with it you know like we were doing this for over a year um so I I think now I look back I, I feel like how much I've learned and I've grown I appreciate it a lot more um I would say towards the end I felt like we were gaining a lot more clarity about what we wanted to write so um whilst there was like time constraints getting it done um I actually enjoyed that time constraint made us really uh, be clear on what we wanted to put in the book. So it was stressful, but yeah, towards the end and then after. See the clarity, I love it. <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and for me, I think my favourite part was just the generosity of people that we reached out to at every stage of the process. Um, so even before we ventured into um, into writing the book for example um you know jennifer abrams who's written many books you know she gave us her time she gave us advice on you know putting it in with publishers and and so like at every stage of the process we really had uh, mentorship and sponsorship from from many different um professionals that i'm sure a lot of you know and whenever i reached out to have some feedback on this, a chapter or on the continuum or when i said you know would you like to share your story with me then and so those became the learning stories that are in chapter 10 for example everyone was really just generous with their time and um and you know were willing to to help us help help the people who are going to read the book you know grow um as a result and so that that for me was really wonderful i love that um you know again i think all great books 
there is that community piece to them. And I think that's evident just, uh, again, folks who have gathered here to celebrate your work. Thank you again, folks, for, for putting your questions in there. I have made a note of them because the chat is sort of like Fast and Furious 7 right now. We are going to come back to questions, but we're going to pause to do our first author reading. So turning the microphone over to Dr. Hollins, uh, for those of us whose books maybe haven't arrived yet in the mail, a little bit of a, a sneak peek. So thanks again, Dr. Hollins, for, for giving us our first reading. No, no problem. I, uh, I practiced reading this to my wife and she said, can you stop? So um, <laughs> I hope it's a bit clearer. Um, so this is in chapter six and it's uh, safeguarding everyone. Um, so this section is towards the end of the book. And so this particular part is talking about vulnerable positions. Um, so have you ever witnessed something that you disagreed with as a staff member? If so, did you challenge it? What was the outcome of that challenge? If you didn't challenge something, what were the fa factors that led you to hold back? As adults with bills to pay and perhaps other people counting on us for support, we are economically vulnerable as school employees. How we seek to challenge or ask questions may differ from person to person. And whether we choose to air concerns is often influenced by professionally how vulnerable we feel we are. As we know from the earlier chapters, marginalised identities do experience implicit bias and discrimination and therefore may be more vulnerable when challenging status quo. An LGBTQ plus teacher shared with us that they and several of their colleagues have received an email from a senior member of staff in which a derogatory slang term was used as a joke. They were upset and when they discussed it with other teachers, it was widely agreed that it had been unacceptable. And yet no other staff members, even those that might have been considered less vulnerable in terms of their position of power, were willing to publicly challenge or call out the use of language. Developing an understanding of vulnerable positions would undoubtedly impact our approach to total inclusivity. If this is not something you considered before, now that you've developed a greater awareness of professional vulnerability and its impact on yourself and your colleagues, what, if anything, will you change? How will you do better? As we can, uh, mentioned earlier in the chapter, our lack of action or silence can communicate just as much about our true intentions as our actions. Continue to reflect on this as you move throughout the book. Um, and if it's just okay, like I just want to share the reflections, guidance and commitments at the end of the chapter, just to link in to what we said earlier. So um, the reflections, how safe is your school? And not just in terms of security guards, background checks and new staff or the health and safety policies. How do you assess this? Are all the identities in your school protected, safeguarded and nurtured? To find out, you have to do some research. Do your colleagues understand what it means for everyone in the school community to be safeguarded? And if not, what we do to ensure they do. Guidance. Creating safe spaces means creating a culture where people can be authentic. If you know that to be authentic means you wouldn't be accepted on account of your religion, sexuality, gender, nationality, ethnicity, or race, then the institution's culture is not safe. If it isn't safe for you, it isn't safe for anyone else. Start this journey by creating safe spaces if and when you can, where staff and students can share their feelings and insecurities and be open about what they need to feel safe. Ask the leaders of the school to support this. Ideally, they will initiate it. If not, gather like-minded staff together, present the suggestion at a future meeting, start the conversation, initiate the process. And lastly, the commitment. Don't be prepared to um, only accept conventional traditional understandings of student safety. Recognise that student and staff safety must extend into the realms of the existential, the emotional, the felt. The school has a responsibility for creating infrastructure that promotes safety so that all in the community feel a sense, a sense of belonging. 
remember that the onus of belonging is not on the marginalized, but on the school. Thank you so much for that. Again, I really appreciate the tying of the reflective work with the action that we need to take. So going into our next round of questions, and again, folks, we're uh, we're going to do our absolute best to get to all of the questions we did have a few folks submit prior to. So keep dropping those questions in the chat. We're going to do our best to get to all of them. So Angeline and Sadie, again, as we're thinking about what you've said about the power of community, of course, our school community is not just the scholars, it's not just the educators, it's the parent and caretakers as well. So do you have any thoughts on what it might mean to be engaging that aspect of audience, uh, student, par parent, caretaker, um, expanding, again, who this book is for? If you've got uh, some thoughts on that, we'd love to hear it. And audience, again, please do keep dropping those amazing questions in the chat. We're going to do our best to get to every single one of them tonight. Thanks, Tricia. Um, and so I think, you know, we, this, this book is really a guide for teachers and school leaders. And um, while we wrote it with that audience in mind, I think that um, parents as part of the school community can also access and use this book to share with some um, the educators in the schools that they're um, engaged with, with, with their own children, or, or maybe they're on a board, um, as, or whichever role that they, they might play in the school community, um, to, to help push thinking forward. I think, I think that there's, you know, and to also to use things like the continuum that's in chapter nine to help be more reflective about where your school is at. And um, and and thinking about the different ways you could maybe reimagine um, how a more inclusive and equitable space might look like in our schools, and and so I think that um, that that would be my advice. And and uh, I think uh, we have we have some some uh, obviously some parents also in our audience today, and and one of them suggested that uh, maybe we can have a a, a platform where um, you can anonymously like buy copies of the book for for all of, for a senior leadership team or something like this, um, you know, with like seasons greeting. Um, and saying so if any uh, parents uh, want to get involved with doing that that would be very welcome um, as well and and I think for students um, you know I shared the continuum with uh, that that we wrote uh, to some of the uh, cast students at my school and and so that they were like DP two students at the time and uh, and and they found it to be really helpful as well to have a look and to think and to reflect and be part of that conversation. Because if it's something that our, um, your school is wanting to move forward in, you know, they, they have a lot to say and they have a lot to share about the vision they have for what it means to be a totally inclusive school. And so I think that um, whilst it's our responsibility as the educators and adults in the school, perhaps to try and, you know, resource those spaces and to, to make sure that those are, are available. I think that uh, the voices that we wanna hear are the people who are impacted by the by the design of the systems that we are creating, right? So, and I think that's really important to to have those voices in as a part of that uh, that reimagining of schools. Thank you for that. Um, again, I think sometimes we underestimate the influence that a book can have uh, when we are making sure that it's you know it's in lots of different hands. So, folks, I will remind you if you are. Uh, 
the sort of person who shares what you're reading on social media uh, or you use Goodreads or you review books, um, the more that we are doing that, the more likely someone is to come across this. I also have a script. I think there's great power in our local libraries having books like these. Also for folks who are aspiring educators, I think about the power this book would have had you know, when I was first starting out in my career, I wish a book like this existed 20 years ago. So that's a great way for all of us to use our platform. Once you complete a book, I feel like I've heard this from many authors, once the book is done and dusted, it's published, it's on shelves, folks are reading it, then it's sort of like the, oh, I wish I could have also added this. So great question from the audience. Um, if you could, if there were suddenly like eight days in the week and not seven, and you could go back and add another chapter to the book, what would you like to add? Or maybe what are you already thinking in terms of um, another collaboration, another book to come forward from you both? Um, I think, you know, just reading also what's in the chat, Tricia, um, you know, Nicole mentioned, you know, adding the A for accessibility to the DEI. And, um, you know, and, as a mother of a child with an intellectual disability, you know, accessibility is 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 really something that's um, close to my heart. And uh, and the thing with you know deciding what to put in, what to, what to not put into the book, because you only have that much space, you only have that many words. It's like it's it's hard to go into depth um, across every intersection. And there's also so many great books out there that maybe just focus on one intersection of, of an, an, an identity um, piece along along this topic. And so, so we sort of um, felt that we didn't um, do that. But but I think looking back, um, uh, you know, talking more about perhaps accessibility, um, and also a, a term that's coming quite strongly um, now is is identity based harm. Um, as well and so harm related to to one's identity um, and so you know some things are gaining traction at this point and um, and that's the thing you know when you write a book I think you, you, your manuscript goes in uh, and it's like kind of a point in time right and and I'm always learning I'm always still evolving my ideas around this and how we can support schools with this and educators as well. And so, yeah, it's kind of a real vulnerable place when you put it out there and you're like, oh, we should have written this, or we should have done that. And, or, but then sometimes you do go back and read things and go, oh, that sounded pretty smart. And then you're like, yeah, I think that might that 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 statement might actually last quite a while. And so, and then and then and then um, so that's also good. But um, yeah, what what are your thoughts, Sadie? Yeah, I think you're you're right. There's there's um, I think we were like ambitious in some sense to bring everything together into the space of a book to talk about intersectional identities, to talk about these different areas. But at the same time, like like Angeline's mentioned, um, you are conscious that you you not you don't have enough space to talk to talk about these different areas and. In that sense, like you're always conscious of, um, of not, of not, yeah, not going into enough depth and not, not you, not having enough space to to write about these different areas. So that's that's definitely a worry that I've had and a concern I've had about the nature of the book. Like it's it's ambitious, you know. Like how can you really do it uh, justice and do it um, a service? Um, 
like Angeline's mentioned, like we're, we're constantly learning throughout the writing process. And there were things that were coming up in the two years that we went back and we took things out and we put new, new content in. And, you know, that's the nature of this evolving conversation. So the book is like a snapshot in time and it's, it was what we could create for the time that we wrote it. Um, But I appreciate, you know, I, I would almost like to revisit it and, 10 years and and be able to go back and reflect on what we what we've learned but um yeah I I think so many things so many things and once it it goes in it's hard because that's frozen in time and you can't touch it so that's quite a a difficult thing to to deal with as well thank you both for that yeah I, I think there is definitely um so much power in remembering the beginner's mindset and how we have to sort of, you know, make sure that we're keeping that mindset as part of almost like our our routine. We do always have more to learn. And it's great that we have books like yours. It's great that we have communities who are going to be catalysts to help fuel that future learning. We're going to take time for our second and final reading from the book. And then we'll take a few more questions after that, passing the microphone to Angeline. Thanks, Tricia. Um, So I'm going to read an excerpt uh, that is on page 55 in the uh, chapter four, I think it is, Power, Positionality and Dismantling Inequities, Um, because I think that part of part of what, you know, our hopes for for the book is that people will be able to really be inspired to reimagine schools. And this is difficult because part of doing that is is asking people to to change what what we're so used to being the norm. Uh, yeah, so this is this section's titled uh, What We Owe Our Students, A New Educational Contract. So Jacqueline Woodson and Lopez wrote in the picture book, The Year We Learned to Fly. Sometimes the first step toward change is closing our eyes, taking a breath and imagining a different way. To create a totally inclusive school, educators need to reimagine. We need a new educational contract that redefines the purpose of education and the school's role in achieving this purpose. We also need to continually develop the individual mindsets, behaviors, and infrastructure that will help create sustainable change. Education is a service industry. While it can be big business for some, the business of education is to serve the students in our care. Even in the business world, ethical renewals are possible, as can be seen with fair trade partnerships that seek greater equity in international trading conditions. For example, since 1973, fair trade original in the Netherlands has imported coffee from cooperatives of small farmers in Guatemala, and the fair coffee concept paved the way for fair trading across other products like tea, cocoa, sugar, and more. Building on this, let us view coffee as a metaphor for schooling. As educators, we have made and consumed multiple cups of coffee and done this routinely. We drink it, we enjoy it, and have come to rely on it. Sometimes we spill a cup. It was not our intent to do so. We made a mess. We aren't going to leave it there. We clean it up and then perhaps consider investing in a sealable thermo mug that not only prevents spills, but also keeps one's coffee hot for longer. Now, our current educational systems are not too dissimilar. We have contributed to upholding schooling models that have caused harm to students, yet we routinely 
brew the same blend and do so regularly. Only when an accident happens do we think about cleaning up our spills. For example, when a serious incident occurs or when alumni publicly vocalize the harm they experienced in our institutions. We need to take responsibility and consider how to prevent such spills from occurring in future. We can redesign our schools and create liberated art out of spilled coffee, which is also our cover for the book, that liberated art out of spilled coffee, which was created by Swai David. I'm going to call out to our wonderful book cover designer. And Swai's in here today. And um, Swai also co-founded the organization to decolonize international schools. She's also an alum of the international school system and a graduate of book cover design. So thank you so much, Swai, for the beautiful art and uh, we, working together with me on this metaphor. Thank you so much for that. And it is, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous book cover. So, uh, you know, again, start to finish the, the book. I think it just offers so much. So folks, again, still some time to drop some questions and we'll come back to one right now. And I'd actually like to sort of flip this and hear from the audience and get your thoughts as well as the thoughts of our co-authors, because it's a great question, but I think it's also a highly personal, highly contextual question. Lots of thoughts in the chat about yes, the need to reimagine. And for so many of us who have been in education for a long time, we've been asked to reimagine or perhaps we've been doing that reimagining and yet folks aren't listening, right? Or folks aren't ready, telling us I'm not ready yet to reimagine. And there's so much emotional labor with that, of course. So in terms of managing our emotions, uh, perhaps not falling into despair, which is no easy task to do. What are your thoughts on, again, managing that emotional labor, um, being able to keep our tanks in a place where we can reimagine, where we can keep coming back to the table, or we can be working with others on co-creating a brand new table? Um, folks in the audience, we love your thoughts on this as well. So Sadie or Angeline, I'll turn that over to you, or if we just want silence for a moment to think together and share our thoughts in the chat, that works too, I think. So if, if I may, Tricia, you know, because I'm going to be verbose for a minute. <laughs> and, uh, it's, I think what we're asking is, is for people to change, right? And, and so this work is also really change management work. And I think when, when we are going through a process of change, there's also a process of grief. Um, is and 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 big and an, an acceptance that has to say that like something wasn't actually working well before. Like it was good, but can it be great? And can it actually serve our students? That all our, all of our students, like we're promising that it is. And so there's going to be a lot of emotions related to that. Um, but I think we, you know, emotional management is one of the things that we're teaching our students. And I think that. Um, you know, as adults, we also need to engage with that and, and think about how can I, yes, deal with my emotions, manage them so that I can come to a space of productivity. And, um, and then, you know, thinking about then that productive discomfort that we should move into that space so that we can move into and get on with the work that's needed to be done. 
Thanks so much for that. Um, I also, you know, for me, doing what I can to prioritize rest. I think sometimes we um, we get so caught up. You know, we we mentioned that education is a service industry. Again, what are we doing to make sure that uh, we're taking care of of what makes all of that possible? And uh, I I know that with many of you, I've talked about the NAP ministry and that idea that rest is resistance as well. Um, I I kind of think making sure that we talk more about that. It's a great book from Trisha Hershey that's out now, um, if you've not found that. So we do have somebody who has a hand up. Please, uh, anybody that would like to unmute, you are more than welcome to do so. If you need help with that, let me know. I was just gonna follow on from what Angeline was saying in terms of the importance of, um, yeah, pausing and, 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 and taking a break. and. Um, in doing the work as a as a university counsellor, but also as a DEI coordinator, I find it's so important to build your resilience, um, and whatever in whatever way that means to you. But to make a space where, um, well, to have have to keep keep track of your own well being, so that you can do the DEI work, um, because it's through that that you're able to create this space between when things happen and you have to react to them but to manage to control yourself and manage all the emotions and everything that comes up before you respond and react so whatever that means you know in terms of creating resilience um it's so important especially in in the sort of international school in an IB world to model that for the students as they're dealing with stress for the first time so yeah, thank you for that that um, provocation, that thought. And I'm thinking about the Viktor Frankl book, the um, the Holocaust survivor, where and his his quote, which is between stimulus and response, there's a a gap, and in working in that gap, that's where your power is. So I paraphrase, but that's that's the key point. Great, thank you. And I, I really appreciate that idea of resilience looks different for different folks. Healing looks different for different folks. So I feel like that's a great conversation to prioritize within our teams of, you know, what is an ideal check-in for you? Because I know sometimes folks think like, oh, well, let's, uh, you know, let's get together and socialize, but that's not the thing that everybody needs, right? So making sure that you've got awareness and understanding within your team of, of how to prioritize that, I think is really crucial. Um, we are going to prioritize one more of the questions that was solicited beforehand. And this was for our co-authors, I think great profound books leave readers with additional questions to mull over, to think about, to bring to their community. So I know it's always hard to say, okay, one, give us one. This might not mean that there's only one, but if readers of your book, Becoming a Totally Inclusive School, leave that book with one question, what do you hope that question might be? Um, I mean, I, I think like for me, this, this feels like an obvious question, which, which is like, how can I become a better advocate for total inclusivity? And whilst it, I know that it seems obvious, based on the book. For me, it's the central driving question of what brings you to the book and what brings us to do the work that we do. So it's, uh, for me, just a point of continual reflection, continual learning. Um, and that's, yeah, that that would be the, the question that I 
think readers will come in with and I hope they also continue to leave with. Thanks, Sadie. I think that really does sum it up. And I think to think about how we, well, you know, how we can be an advocate for, for all students, I think we also need to ask ourselves, you know, what do we as educators owe our students? Yeah, because that's why we're we're in this. And and I think that um if we can sort of redefine that as one that, you know, if we owe our students a, a learning ecosystem that is totally inclusive, then let, let's advocate for that <laughs> yeah, as well. And, and so let's keep our students at the heart of what we do. I love that. Um, again, thank you so much, folks, for being here. I think that this is perhaps the beginning, hopefully, of uh, a desire, a need, a call to interact with this text and to use this text as a spark for also gathering some of our peers together. So, of course, thank you to our co-authors. In closing, uh, what can you tell us about additional opportunities there will be? Um, again, for those of us who are sitting here thinking, you know what, I wish this colleague or this peer had been a part of this conversation and you want to invite them to another conversation, what are some of the opportunities coming up to watch out for where uh, you can perhaps nudge that colleague and say, hey, uh, do you want to attend this with me or do you want to have a conversation about this regarding this text? Well, well Sadie and I are very lucky. We have um, also, uh, thank you so much, Tricia, for hosting us and, um, and April Renfries on this call. And we're going to have another book launch um, hosted by Xenia for, um, in, in an Asia Pacific friendly time zone. So it's going to be 10 a.m. in the morning um, European, um, Western Europe time um, so that uh, our colleagues in, in Asia Pacific can, can join. And I'm also going to pop a link into the chat and so as a as a kind of like a, a virtual prize giveaway uh, do feel free to enter um, and fill out the form if you'd like and uh, you can be in the running to win a, uh, a, a some some time with um, me or me and Sadie Sadie and I both together and we're going to either come into your school for a session or you might want to claim it for yourself and we could have like a, a little one-on-one -on -one coaching session or um, so we can negotiate what that would look like but you can yeah yeah win a consultation so <laughs> fill that in great thank you folks and uh again thanks there's there's been so many thoughtful shares happening over there in the chat so thank you so much for everyone who took the time to join this space and be with us today take care everyone and um again thanks round of applause feel free to unmute to uh to show a little bit of love and care and heart for our co-authors and bringing us this book which i have no doubt is going to be an incredible catalyst for community and conversation folks thank you again for giving up some of your time to spend with the podcast the giveaway that you heard angeline refer to the form to fill out is over there in the show notes so get on it if you have not yet reminded your school to order their book consider doing that too see you again next thursday